Hello, Polytopians. Thanks for tuning in to Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today I'm joined by Eastmark and by Razor Z. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hi hey. there. So good Hello. to be here. <laughs> hey, always good to have you guys on. Uh, today, folks, we're going to be talking about our second special tribe of this run, the Illyrian. So, uh, well, without any further ado, let's jump into it. The morning sun breaks from behind an idyllic cluster of smooth, weathered mountains. They are pale gray stone dark against the pink and orange sky. Nestled between the mountains is a small lake, and you can see a small tree curling up between the water's edge and the slopes behind it. A forest of massive, sprawling, old-growth trees surrounds them, with younger trees sprouting in the gaps of sunlight between the older trees' canopies. You can hear water running down the mountainside distantly, burbling down little waterfalls into lakes just like the one you see before you. You're sitting in a clearing in front of the little lake, with the long road winding back to the imperious border through the Eleron Forest on your left, and the trail ahead running into the groves on the right. You're taking a little break from the trek, relaxing on bright green grass growing out of the light pink soil below. On the water's edge is a magnificent sunburst lily, a huge flower with four pink petals above a fan of dark green leaves and three shimmering, rainbow-colored stamens coming out of the pistil. Although they're not a traditional fruit, the Illyrian like to eat them as much as any Lumapil, one of the many peculiarities of this mysterious tribe. The surface of the lake stirs, and you catch an unexpected and quite rare glimpse of a wild Navalon, a massive whale-like creature with a mouth filled with razor-sharp fangs and a rapacious appetite. They're known to enter feeding frenzies in the heat of battle, pulling boat after boat down to the water as they engorge themselves on the hapless crew. You'd been considering washing down in the lake before heading back onto the road, but something about the placid surface had felt off and you decided against it. Now you're very thankful you decided to follow your instincts and stay on the shore. After a few moments, the Navalon dips back down to the depths of the lake, leaving the surface a rippling pool of glass. You decide to rest for a while longer by the lake and ruminate on the past of this strange place as you do. Long ago, explorers from the Imperius tribe had set out into the Aleron forest in search of new lands to call home. Within their first few days prospecting the forest, they'd run across a unicorn, and, mystified by the beast, they'd decide to follow it through the forest. After half a day pursuing the poor thing, they'd finally lost sight of it in a valley deep in the Aleron forest. As they tried to gather their surroundings, the group slowly noticed a deep, distant rumbling coming from a steep portion of the mountain ringing in the valley. The explorers were torn about whether to attempt to return to their previous encampment or to investigate the noise, but inevitably curiosity won the day and they set out to find the source. Before long, they came upon the edge of the valley and saw before them the ruins of an old outpost built into the mountainside. Further up the slope, there was a large cave, fairly foreboding-looking. Although the noise was coming from up in the cave, the explorers were more interested in the ruins before them. They were hoping to settle this land, after all, and signs of failed occupation weren't particularly enheartening. In the rubble of the outpost, they had found much more than they had bargained for. In turns long past, this had been an imperial research station of the ancients. In their quest for more power with which to preserve their imperial legacy, they had come upon the mystical Aleron forest after reports of a ferocious winged beast came back from the scouts from the Imperius province. The scouts had been sworn to secrecy and sent back out into the wilderness to find the lair of the beast. As turns progressed, the scouts found the lair, and the ancients built their research station to study the beast. In the course of their studies, they came across unicorns and began to look into the source of these supernatural animals of the forest. Specimens of both unicorns and dragon eggs were procured, and study brought forth many findings, but the ancient's knowledge of this arcane force was flawed, and their misunderstandings brought forth ever greater imperfections in their attempts to harness the magic of the forest. Their studies had finally begun to yield the kind of fruit just before the Civil War of the Ancients broke out, but in their final culmination of magical mastery, the ancients brought forth their greatest imperfection yet. A platoon of soldiers was brought forth to the research station to undergo a special magical infusion, one which was to imbue them with unnatural strength and to invigorate their constitutions to make them tougher than any troops available in the Empire. Their infusion was a partial success. The troops were indeed imbued with supernatural strength and vitality, but not in the way intended. The reaction of the magical cocktail with the polytopian troops warped them into half-polytopian, half-unicorn hybrids, retaining their previous intelligence but now monstrous in form. 
The malformed polytors had been hidden in the outpost with the researchers out of shame. And the entire outpost had been lost and forgotten with the outbreak of the Civil War, severing all contact with the outside. The stranded researchers had desperately sought a cure for their newfound wards, but never had a chance to try it out before a dragon attacked and destroyed the outpost in revenge for the theft of its egg. It was this concoction that the explorers stumbled on in the ruins all those turns later. The explorers had found the bottle buried deep in a chest under the rubble closest to the mountain wall. Pulling it forth, they spied the characters of the ancient's language on the label and went to work attempting to decipher it. It was as they grouped around the bottle in the ruins, trying to discern the warning written there, that the very same dragon had burst out of the cave with a thundering roar, startling the group. The bottle flew out of their hands in the fright and smashed on the stone half-hole they had been circling, sending the enchanted brew into the air and on to all of them. They were fortunate that the researchers had spent many turns before the attack working on their brew, putting their hopes for redemption into it. They were spared the horrific fate of the original troops, instead were morphed into elfin forms, with pointed ears and a deep need to protect the forest. Unfortunately, in the turn since the outpost was attacked, the brew had lost some of its potency, and they weren't gifted the great strength or vitality of the polytors. This was a tale the Illyrian would usually never speak of, instead simply telling the children's story of the lonely Illyrian who had first enchanted a unicorn to make themselves a friend. But with the right sort of inebriates and enough time plying, the truth could see the light of day. This was how you had patiently plied the truth from the sole Illyrian trader you'd run across in your travels. On the road back to the Zabasi savanna, as you'd been preparing to trek into the Samantes' eerie marshes, the trader had been returning with a load of metal procured from the Chinchi. By happenstance, you'd both arrived at the same inn to pass the night. The trader had told you many wondrous things of the Aleron forest and its inhabitants. Although you'd had your mission to set the trade company apart already ongoing, you'd still taken note of the trader's tales, and now you've come to these woods to pursue the magic here for your own ends. This mysterious land is truly wondrous indeed, even for profit margins. You hear a wild whinny, and then out of the shadows by the sunburst lily, a unicorn steps forth, leaning down to nibble on the flower. Although this one is busy eating, usually unicorns are playful creatures, frolicking in the magical woods playing hide-and-seek leaving a trail of rainbow dust in their wake. You've heard rumors that the dust can show you a glimpse of your afterlife. Albeit, to be honest, you're not keen to test it. A shadow passes over you. Something big flies by overhead with a triumphant roar. It's a dragon. A gigantic pink flying beast with a long snaking tail, wide wings, two legs underneath sporting sharp talons, and a large head peaked by two horns with a gaping maw filled with razor-sharp teeth. You didn't think you'd have the luck to see one outside of the Illyrian city, let alone airborne. It's a fierce visage, but a creature with more to it than raw, terrible brutality, as you've gathered from the tales the trader told. Dragons are highly intelligent creatures with complex emotions, and they dream as polytopians do. Sometimes the dragons will cry from the sheer vivid beauty of their dreams, and their tears if drunk guarantees the drinker divine dreams for three nights straight. The only residents of the square who can reliably procure them are the Illyrian who serve as the wardens of the enchanted Eleron Forest, which is what has brought you here. As one can imagine, they're a highly valued commodity, and as well as being very light, the perfect combination for high-profit aerial deliveries. All of a sudden, you hear commotion coming from the trees behind you. It's several Illyrian warriors leading unicorn-headed polytors back to their city. The Illyrian themselves are similar to polytopians in appearance, they have long, silky blue hair and tall, pointed ears, and they wear a circlet hidden under their hair with a yellow crystal on the center prominently displayed on their forehead. As you know, the Illyrian are sworn to defend their enchanted home with their inherited nature magic, and they see it as their way of life. Serving alongside them in their wardenship are the fierce dragons and the beastly polytors, with the ferocious navalons dominating the sea. They are certainly not a tribe to trifle with. Standing up for the shore with a wave, you decide to follow the group back to the city. On the road through the forest, you see shimmering sanctuaries surrounded by prancing unicorns. The Illyrian leads you to a sprawling castle city made of yellow stone bricks with white stone outcroppings and arced windows. The castle builds up the blue star-embroidered domes, flat roofs with the same design in the middle, white stone crenellations for archers, pink-trimmed octagonal towers, and peaked blue tiled towers. The Illyrian themselves move around the city serenely, at one with their enchanted home. As you reach the central courtyard, your Illyrian escort makes her leave. Before they go, you ask one of them where you can find their dragon lord, who can provide you with those precious tears. They point up to the tower rising up above the central keep, 
and you say your thanks before making your way to it. You mentally prepare for the negotiations with the Dragon Lord as you begin to ascend the steps. Going up the tower, however, you give him pause. From up here, you can see the reverence the Illyrian hold for nature as a holy spirit in their lands. Their farms spread out to the far side of the valley, producing vast bounties surrounded by old-growth woods. Their lumber huts work differently from the norm, too, as trees aren't chopped down here, and instead you can see Illyrian carrying large fallen branches the size of smaller trees' trunks to be processed in the sawmill just outside the gates into workable material. In the distance, you can see a herd of unicorns racing off into the forest, carefree in their sanctuaries and safe from being hunted. They truly care for their home, and as a result, their lands flourish and foster the growth of monsters. So that's a nice little look at their lore, and uh, now we can take a look at some of the other details about the Illyrian that make them uh, special. Starting out with their starting text, spawn rates, all that good stuff. And let's look at those spawn rates specifically, honestly. So they have half the mountain spawn rate, and they also have a slightly higher than average forest spawn rate, countered by a slightly lower than average fruit spawn rate. So doesn't necessarily lend itself to organization being their best play off the bat. Um, however, they do have the third highest crop spawn rate. That's just behind Umaji and Zabasi. So although they're not going to want to go with organization off the start, at some point in time, it does make sense to start going down that part of the tech tree. Uh, beyond that, they do have a slightly higher than average wild animal spawn rate, although uh, they can't hunt any of that, and instead will use that for either income in their sanctuaries or to make polytors to fight for them. And they have half the metal spawn rate. So again, uh, as far as tier 2 techs go, you're going to find yourself um, pushed more towards sawmills and um, farms. Sorry, uh, lumber huts and farms. Now, looking at their starting tech, they have forest magic. Now, that replaces hunting, and it allows players to enchant animals into polytors. Now, very useful skill, and we'll take a look at some of the specifics on polytors later, but uh, suffice it to say, they're incredibly useful, even if they're not the um, toughest units in the game. Uh, next up, they have water magic. This is the only other uh, complete tech change they have, and uh, what this does is it allows players to enchant whales into navalons instead of getting the 10 stars from them with whaling uh, navalons are quite powerful units and uh, definitely worthy of the uh, trade-off there without... i disagree oh yeah I, I mean how many times have you gotten whales in a lake almost Where... never but uh i have oh, found a few i feel times... like I feel like it happens to me all the time. I get whales and they're in a place where they cannot reach my opponent. And it's a to and I would much rather have the 10 stars than a impotent Navalon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a valid argument. And if anything, kind of does uh, maybe say you should uh, consider playing Illyrian not on lakes. That's, that's an interesting aspect I hadn't considered. But I mean... It's true, yeah. If you're going to play a game with um, enclosed bodies of water, you might not want to use this tribe in particular. Although, I, th yeah, I guess they'll do just fine. It's just the one or time you, you won't love it. Just don't yeah. invest in whaling because it's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't even remember the last time I've gotten to whaling. I don't know if I've just never made it that far or never needed to go that far. I just usually focus on, like, the land battles because that's where i start out with with the polytars i mean that's fair i have uh played many a game with uh illyrian players at this point and um although they're not the most frequent thing ever whales are somewhat rare inherently um mm. i when i do see them come to play they are quite impactful uh a, a mm. water unit that's a giant with four attack and four defense but persist is just insane mm-hmm yeah, that's true. Because there's not really, I don't think there's any other naval unit that can that can do something like that. No, no, that it it does make them quite unique in that aspect. Although, I mean, they're a melee unit, so they're mm. easy to kill at the same time. That's true. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll take a, a brief look at some of those techs in, or sorry, those uh, special units in a moment, but. Uh, Let's just run through the last two texts really quick. Uh, the next two are not new texts. They're just disappointing changes 
perhaps for the Illyrian. And uh, the first off is forestry does enable lumber huts and sanctuaries. It does not give you a chop forest option. Uh, and the other change is with chivalry. You are not going to have a burn forest option, which means if you have a forest in the wrong place and it's going to block your perfect customs house or forge location, um, although you're going to have a lot fewer chances at that with Illyrian, um, it, you don't have a way of getting in the forest. It's just it's that's where it is now. Yeah, and supposedly this is based on the lore that they are nature lovers and they don't <laughs> want to harm the forest, which, you know, I always thought was bizarre because if you can mutate the natural creatures and turn them into soldier monsters, why not chop down a forest? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I don't know, maybe they could have buffed Saint or um, spiritualism or something. I don't know. Well, because the way I see it, I feel like since they are nature, nature magicians, you know, they are taking that energy from the trees. So I, I like that the lore was kept in mind when making the gameplay. Because, um, you know, there's not many of those moments in Polytopia where something directly is like connected to that lore, you know. And I'm a big fan of lore and Polytopia lore and all that, like the... You know, the backstory with Polaris is cool where, you know, Gammy are interdimensional, you know. So, I mean, I, I and I think, you know, since they can't chop down those forests, they do have, you know, some parts that can make up for it. But, yeah, it is annoying not being able to change your terrain. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I do have to agree. I mean, it's nice that they were lore accurate with it. Um I think that the thing that chafes most people is the chivalry change because they used to be able to burn forests into fields. And I mean, I would look at it as more of a uh, reforestation cycle. You know, uh, every once in a while you need to burn the land to uh, reseed the soil. Uh, natural wildfires happen every, what, century or so, I believe. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I always sort of looked at it. Those are just uh, the Illyrian doing controlled burns and then... Um, Getting uh, some of their sunburst lilies going on the uh, the plot before the forest takes back over. At least that's how I always mentally made it work in my head. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder what they eat. Do they just eat those those plants? I mean, I I would. <laughs> I can't picture them eating the unicorns. Yeah. Or, no. or, I mean, I guess they have the farms, but I mean, I get I get sick of just eating weed all day. They have. <laughs> I'm sure they have other things. I mean, Zoyther yeah. says, like, even though you don't see it on the map, like, they have other crops. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And one can assume, at the very least, they're um, probably bringing over some Lumap peels or whatever uh, borders them closest. Um, I know each tribe sort of got uh, a bit of lineage to them. Mm. So what else do they have? Well, the other thing we didn't talk about in the forest stuff is sanctuaries. Yes, yeah, they're oh, one special yes. building. Now, uh, the sanctuaries are fun. They uh, they cost five stars to make, but uh, oh, and there's a limit of one per city. Just calling that out up front. But they have some cool effects. First off, they do generate a star of income for each adjacent wild animal in their territory. Now, adjacent, they have to be directly next to the sanctuary to count uh, for income, much as uh, you can think of as a comparison a customs house or a clathrus needing to have ports or algae next to it uh in the same manner do the animals function here um and it does attract a wild animal to one of those adjacent empty has to be a forest tile uh every two turns now that's really really good because it means um first off if you put them down really early you can fill up your sanctuaries and uh just basically have a bunch of land-based customs houses in every city off the rip which is that that's nice um but Beyond that, um, and uh, this is counterintuitive to it and kind of the aggro hole, so it's not a recommended strat, but you could use it to farm out a bunch of polytors too if you want to do the occasional push every couple of turns. Um, I think the one use that might have if you were to um, maybe have a rotating amount of polytors that showed up is uh, having one of them every two turns go hop onto a port and turn into a ship as like a cheaper version of a defender. And, and I then, think they are, do they have the independent? I think you can have as many of them and they're not tied to the city population, right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. 
And, uh, I mean, let's take a look at some of the stats for the units while we're here. Uh, Polytors are the first unit we'd want to take a look at. And uh, they have 15 health points, 3 attack, 1 defense, 1 movement, and they cost 2 stars to make uh, out of any animal when you enchant them. They do have the dash, fortify, and independent uh, abilities, which indeed makes them not count against any of the city's population. So you can have an unlimited amount as long as you can get them produced with your sanctuaries and um they are not hindered by being slow they can attack after moving they're also unlike any of the simantes bugs actually able to defend a city competently which is interesting certainly a strong unit not one to be overlooked um beyond that we have the navalon which is uh their replacement for whaling uh, it's a catch-22. Yeah, you, you do not get the 10 stars from whales, but you do get, at the cost of 5 stars, a unit with 30 health points, 4 attack, 4 defense, 3 movement, and uh, the navigate, dash, and persist abilities. That's right. It's, uh, it's a sea-based unit with a huge pool of health and defense and attack that's very quick, and it can chew through a whole armada of boats in a single turn. Um, the Catch-22 being they're very rare, and again, they're melee units, so ships, um, archers, anything with a ranged attack can do a real number before the Navalon has any chance to respond in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the other Catch-22 mm -hmm. is uh, they can't move on land, although they can capture coastal cities. So uh, assuming you're actually in a body of water connected to your opponent, then you could capture the city. Yeah, I do like about Lyrion that they have so many different unique units and they can they have a lot of versatility. Like, you know, you can grab that dragon and charge across land and then you can I like the area effect damage. I think that was one of the if not the first unit that had an area of effect attack where it could affect multiple units at once. Am I am I correct on that? Was that yeah. that one? I think so. Yeah. I think yes. the dragon was the first area of effect type unit in the game. Uh huh. And the first and... flying. Yes. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, a lot of big stuff there. And there was a point in time where it was promised they would be the only flying unit yeah. in the game, if I remember. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, speaking of those fire dragons, um. They replace giants, obviously, so you're going to get that by leveling up your cities. Um, and they go through three stages, which is very cool thematically, but very annoying in terms of uh, gameplay practice in might mode. Uh, so, starting off, they come out as an egg. That egg has 10 health points, zero attack, but two defense, one movement, the grow, and the fortifiability. And all that means with grow is that in three turns, It'll stop being a useless egg and turn into a baby dragon. And the baby dragon is a slightly better version of the egg. <laughs> well, I guess that's that's a disservice to the baby dragon. It's actually quite good. It's got 15 health points, 3 attack, 3 defense, 2 movement, the grow, dash, fly, escape, and scout abilities. So fly lets them move over any terrain without any hindrance whatsoever. Dash allows them to attack after moving. Grow means within another 3 turns, they'll once again transform uh and uh scouts great for seeing all sorts of stuff fly let you move quickly and scout let you see all around at a great distance like uh like say you had a battleship on there and last but not least they have escapes so you can fly out attack something that you see with your scout ability and uh zoom on back out of harm's way with them much like with the rider although unlike with the rider you don't get a road bonus with them so uh only so fast and in general that's not to risk your baby dragons before they get the chance to turn to the full-grown thing, which has 20 health points. Four attack with the primary hit, and uh, the splash damage does 2.5 for each apiece, so it's more than a warrior by a quarter. 125% of warrior's damage. Uh, they also have three defense and three movement, and a range of two, so they can shoot from a distance and do that damage, which also makes them unique amongst the special units as... I believe the only ranged one, let alone the only ranged flyer, it also happens to have dash, scout, and splash. Yeah, baby dragons are really, really amazing. And I like 
I like knowing that they're going to turn into a dragon. So like you can get them to attack and then get them down to like one hit point. And if they're going to turn into a dragon the next turn, you're like, nope, it's fine. They'll be good next turn. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. There, yeah, there's lots of strategy you can do there. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they're just very powerful beasts, especially once they're fully grown. It's, I mean, I think the only catch 22, the only thing that kind of sucks about dragons is that 20 health point pool. And I mean, unlike centipedes, they don't have a way of making a backup health pool. Even though, you know, those uh, segments can be taken out with a, a single knight in the right circumstances. Um, that's still better than nothing. But uh, the dragon stays at a distance. So as long as you're not trying to engage a horde of battleships, it should survive most encounters. God willing. Yeah. You have to be really careful about where you place the fire dragon because unlike the baby dragon, it can't fire a fireball and then dash away. It fires its fireball and it stays put. So if it's in range of like a catapult or a battleship or a tridention or anything like that, then it could go bye-bye real quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like Illyrion in the in the way that like you have to put a lot of thought when you're playing, you know, because they're they're a slower developing tribe in my opinion for the early game, since you don't have as many options to, you know, level up your cities, because you know, you're gonna wanna like you can chop or you know set up the lumber, you know, and get a a little bit of production for your city, but you know then you're missing out on the the polytars. You know, so it takes a bit to get more options to leveling up your city, but you know, it's a trade-off with the, you know, their sheer power and how many units they can push out. But you know, even though they've got, you know, all those polytars, they're still vulnerable at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they can only do so much. Definitely, uh, definitely. Yeah. I agree with you. I think fundamentally starting out, it's really a trade-off between how much are you going to put into sanctuaries and how much are you going to put into lumber huts? That's always the question for me because I, I usually always was telling Sam, every time I played Illyrian in a Polychamps game, either I'm it or my teammate is Illyrian, we always get forestry first. And then it's like, okay, are you going to put a sanctuary there or are you going to use those animals for polytars? Are you going to turn those forests into lumber huts like it's it's a balancing act yeah yeah there's so many different ways to go very true very true and honestly that brings us to uh the overall perks and drawbacks of this tribe now that we know some of these specifics about how it functions i think off the, the top of my head i think of two main perks about this tribe and um feel free to correct me here um i polytopian is an embarrassing little admission but i am not actually super versed with Illyrian compared to most tribes there. I think they're my least played tribe, so uh, definitely uh, definitely do tune in here, but um, I think off the top of my head, it's definitely those early ruins can be really good for some early gains, and um, well, I, obviously every special unit's amazing, and yeah, sanctuaries are also pretty great. Yeah, some teams will take Illyrian with that added perk that you can see all the ruins so if you're in like a 3v3 game you can take a wide screenshot see those little rainbows in the fog and send that information to your teammates and then they know where those ruins are that that can be a big advantage yeah yeah another yeah. uh yeah another win there <laughs> i mean i don't don't underestimate the ruins honestly and i think that's something maybe um new players with this tribe might not really think to pursue too actively might be a a little dazzled by the dragons. Of course, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it is unfortunately a tribe with a few drawbacks, though. I mean, off the bat, obviously, polytors are pretty squishy. Um, they, I mean, they do lots of damage, don't get me wrong, but they are glass cannons. At least they have a health pool. Um, beyond that, obviously, you can't get rid of forests if you need to get rid of forests because you want, you know, the optimal forge or customs house or sawmill or windmill or monument placement. Uh, like, sorry, that's it's not going to happen. Can't chop. No chopping. Nope, yeah. nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, 
Uh, you can't burn a bunch of forests, so you can make a bunch of farms. So you can then farm a bunch of dragons up anymore, as that's also no longer an option. Um, also, those dragons take a while to grow up, and they have lower health pools than any other super unit except for centipedes, so you're gonna want to be careful with them, because they're not that difficult to kill. Yeah, the main thing that bothers me about that is you can't pop a giant to save and unsiege a city like you can with other tribes. Like if you get sieged and you get a <laughs> yes. giant, you're alive. You you live to fight another day. With Illyrian, if you get sieged, if you pop a dragon egg, you lose your dragon egg and you lose your city. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. There's very little chance it survives a single turn, and I mean. Yeah, you just better off not even uh, bothering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, getting that giant's usually a a big strategy for me if I'm losing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to save my my monuments, and save my parks, all that. And whenever they get close and they take that city, I'm popping it, and that's when I counterattack. Because then I feel like sometimes, you know, they don't expect that unless it's like a you know experienced player. But then, then they can see that, oh, they have that, you know, they have a, a big tribe and they haven't put down any of those so something's up but you know if you're smart with it you can do that but with Illyrian you can't so it forces you to you know think of some other options to counterattack when that happens yeah yeah absolutely and I mean one other thing about not having giants for Illyrian is uh, very sad for their navy and I mean it, sure they do have navalons they don't have giant battleships and that's a massive hit because mm. I mean, Navalons are great up until you're dealing with swarms of battleships. Hey, you know what's great against swarms of battleships? Giant battleships. You know what's not great against swarms of giant battleships? Navalons. Um, and you're going to find out that your defender ship spam is just not going to cut it in a prolonged naval encounter uh, if you can't support it with something else. Because I, I think a, like a competent Kiku player who's got a good amount of... Uh, giant battleships coming at you and plenty of customs houses so you can keep up their defender ship spam in the background. It's going to be uh, a big problem for you. Um, and then beyond that, obviously, it's tricky balancing what you're going to use for lumber huts and what you're going to use for sanctuaries. And, I mean, I think that kind of wraps up our perks and drawbacks here. Now it's time for some strategy. And I think we're going to hand it off to eSpark to run through everything because she knows quite a bit more than me. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about strategy for playing Illyrian. We talked about this a little bit already, but I would say the number one uh, useful tactic is the Politar push, right? Um, yeah. I think that's key. I mean, sometimes you can't use it, but most of the time you have a couple Politars in your capital, and the idea is to move your warrior and then spend the two stars to get that polytar and the warrior will continue in the same direction it was going so you can just get one extra tile of movement and sometimes you know that advantage can make all the difference the thing is people forget that you can use polytar polytar pushes more than just in that first turn right no that's that's, yeah. that's something good to keep in mind too yeah, I didn't even know about Polytar pushing until someone told me about it like a couple months ago whenever I started back uh, playing on online multiplayer. And I'm surprised I never learned about it because I've been playing Delirion since like 2017. <laughs> OG player right here. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've seen people use it in really creative ways. You know, I've seen people put a catapult on a on a polytar, you know, and that's something later on in late games when you have lots of sanctuaries, right? You can put your catapult on a polytar. You can spend those two stars to pop that polytar. The catapult will move one additional space, and then you know you can use your catapult to hit whatever because that catapult wasn't in range before. So there's lots of creative ways you can use a polytar push to give your units one extra movement before they move or attack. Mm -hmm. Nice, yes, yeah. It's a, a surprisingly strong tool in their kit. Yeah, and then we talked about this before. The other thing is, you know, use your polytars to their strengths. As you said before, they're squishy. Yeah. Um, but that just means their attack ratio is strong and their defense is weak. But 
um, to use them to attack um, and be careful where you place them. You know, don't don't put them in range where they can be attacked. You got to go aggressive with them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then honestly, on that note, um, well, you know what? We're going to be talking about counters here. So maybe let's not put in too many spoilers, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we talked about this before also, but almost always forestry is going to be your first tech. So you can think about getting lumber huts and sanctuaries. But usually that means if you get two polytars on your first turn and you polytar push your warrior one direction or other, by the time you get to a village, you don't have enough stars to buy forestry. Usually you have five stars and to get that forestry, you need uh, six so very often you need to delay capturing that first village so you have enough to get forestry before capturing the first. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's a very common thing I've seen um, in the games I play. That makes sense. And I mean, that's a nice strategic element where you have to sort of uh, decide whether you're going to save up for something big down the road or uh, just push on early, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't get two polytars right away. Depending on the direction that the polytars are positioned and your spawn, sometimes you're better off getting more warriors than polytars. Just leave the polytars for that time being and get a warrior in your capital. Maybe that's more the direction you want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say in in those um because I, I play a lot of those uh like crazy mode full matches in uh, single player. And they're definitely a good tribe to start out with if you're trying to get those three stars and trying to get three stars on every tribe and get used to crazy because they do have a strong early game, which, in my opinion, is the hardest part about playing against uh, a full match with crazy bots. And sending out that polytar to help you capture that first adjacent city can really change the whole trajectory of the game. And not a lot of tribes have that big uh power in the beginning of the game where they can have that opportunity to rush in and grab that adjacent city and it is a risk but sometimes it's a risk worth taking in those kind of games yeah, yeah i agree a hundred percent illyrian is really strong in these what we call cage matches big <laughs> free-for-alls <laughs> against bots or human players because yeah illyrian is very strong in the early game with those polytars and then it's kind of sags in the middle game and then in the late game it's really strong with the dragons so mm -hmm. um but i agree with you Illyrian is a really good choice in those types of cage match or just mm -hmm. games where you're meeting someone right off the bat yeah like an enchanted vengear sort of uh except yeah. without the ability <laughs> yes, to have uh <laughs> um, and, but i would say in general you know you play illyrian like lots of other tribes right so look at your resources think ahead riding and roads you know it's always good in, in all tribes but it's good with illyrian too especially you know if you're playing against another player we'll talk about counters but if you're playing against another yeah. illyrian you know riders getting in there with a hit and then bouncing away is is always good Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah <laughs> writer spam is uh and at this point in time it is a universal constant in terms of effectiveness except mm -hmm. for of course um zymantian i though i hear some folks who uh who play aquarian actually find the amphibians to be a bit of a chore just because um they have to be on a road to be competent on land mm -hmm. yeah well catch 22 for them but i uh, will talk about those later <laughs> Yeah, and then with every tribe, you know, you try to get your super units, oh, whether it's... it's a gami, whether it's a regular giant, or whether it's a dragon eggs. Like, the further you go, you've got to get those super units to get, uh, and the first one is key to get your monument. But usually with Illyrian, I use sawmills and a combination of roads to get my first super unit. Uh, it's good advice. You can have uh, forestry for lumber huts in the early game, right? So, um, You'll have plenty of stuff propped up for sawmills already, and then roads are good to especially pair with some riders for early expansion, just getting your poly tours and everything moving. And then I guess, I guess once you get going, um, just looking at the resource distribution, um, 
and obviously all the tier two stuff will probably be like more sawmills and then just a bunch of farms where they're available. Yeah, mm. Illyrian has a lot of farms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh kind of the only tier two resource they have a lot of. Yeah, yeah. It's easy. Uh, I've noticed to get um like behind the other tribes if you're not strategizing correctly with Illyrian. Because, you know, if you're focusing on that, the, the polytars in the beginning, trying to take a city or trying to expand, and you're focusing too much on the wrong aspect or the wrong uh, part of your, um, how do you say it, ecosystem or your, you know, the whole balance of the tribe and the text. If you're focusing on the wrong spot at the wrong time, you could get behind and then you could get easily taken. Yeah, I think that's what Sam calls the aggro hole. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a tribe, much like Vengir, where uh, you like to get buried into the aggro hole because it's designed to hold your hand as you fall right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you can just, if you, you can, it's that balance between getting sanctuaries versus using the animals to turn into polytars, right? If you turn all your animals into soldiers, then you have all these, great units but then you don't have the income to afford buying more techs and growing etc so you really have to balance okay where are you going to put the sanctuaries and keep those polytars for income versus turning them into units mm-hmm. yeah yeah no that's 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 something good to keep in mind and i mean on the note of that some more tribe specific strategies so obviously we've talked about the sanctuaries being used for making and an inordinate amount of independent polytours to go to war with. Uh, we also talked about using those polytours for pushing, and more than just for the starting unit, too, you know, uh, for catapults and riders and other stuff, but I'm I'm certain you've got some other thoughts, uh, E-Spark, in terms of what we can play with in this tribe. Well, the main thing is the dragons, right? So yeah. when you get your dragon eds, keep them safe, um, but you could move them, as long as they're safe, you know, move them up. And then be smart how you use your baby dragons and whatever you do, don't let them die. You can get them down to <laughs> one hit point and then they'll come back strong as dragons. But you got to, again, be conservative enough with them. And then positioning the dragons in a smart way, make, you know, optimize them, so to speak. Yeah, a lot about placement. And Navalons are amazing, again, as long as they're not in a lake. Um, but if you can get a Navalon in in a body of water that can connect to your opponent, I mean, that's just so fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm thinking about it. Um, Navalons and dragons are like best friends if you ever do have to use them at sea. Although I, I, I know that dragons at sea are not uh, not optimal. But, um, I mean, you probably do like splash damage on a cluster of ships and then the Navalon just eats everything. Um Right works the same on land with knights too. Yep. Yeah. So so how do we counter Illyrian? Uh, I mean, you did uh, mention this. Oh, sorry. Really? Oh, I was just gonna say real quick. Uh, um, it might not be a bad idea to try to get a mind bender in there and take away that dragon for yourself. No, ooh, that might be a yeah. good idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you don't play if you don't play right. And you know, and you mess it up, you know, then you could just lose the mind bender to a, you know, a straight knight or or whichever. But you know, <laughs> sometimes with those special tribes, it is if it's not effective, it's fun to, yeah. to take take away their special units and add them to your collection. <laughs> it's fun, and and sometimes it does give you an advantage. <laughs> yeah, can't argue with that. Oh, uh, there was one game I lost a centipede to uh, an imperious player who would. Uh, I didn't expect to have bothered with philosophy and had it just waiting in the fog behind it, the city, just just waiting for me to siege. Very frustrating, because that little centipede ate the tail of my other centipede that had been going the opposite direction. I couldn't turn him around fast enough, and I didn't think to pop the segments, because I didn't think it'd actually bother, but, um, well. I love seeing mindbenders in action in this game. I, I don't get to see them enough. So anytime you can effectively use a mindbender, I love that. <laughs> 100%. They're uh, definitely an underutilized unit in the game. It's, um, yeah. On that yeah, but... note... Oh, sorry. oh, continue, sorry. 
I guess on that note, um, as far as some other counters, obviously we touched on this earlier, but um, polytors are glass cannons, so just uh, attack them before they attack you because like they they're they're flimsy and they break easy. Um, and uh, in general, as with all tribes, uh, riders are wonderful for doing hit and run attacks against other enemies. Uh, riders plus roads are kind of the meta in general, and then. Um, I don't know, this is just my personal habit whenever I wind up playing against uh, Illyrian is to make dragons the MVP target, VIP. You just want to go after them really hard, especially with, like, catapults or naval units. Um, but just hit them as hard as you can, especially from a distance. Um, you can use knights to follow up if you need something to move in fast and actually just get the kill in. I mean... That's one of the few times I would consider a knight only getting a single kill before it dies actually being a worthwhile trade-off, as if it gets a kill on a dragon before it dies. Yep. Yep, I agree. Riders and roads, just using good strategy, using ranged attacks with catapults, naval units, knock those dragons out of the sky. Mm. <laughs> another, another interesting thing I've been trying to do recently in multiplayer is trying to distract those heavy hitters, like uh, getting a unit with a good bit of health. Uh, like in, like for the dragon, for instance, you know they have that splash attack. So if you, if the dragon is going after uh, a big unit or a big crowd, it's going to do more damage. But if it's going after like a giant per se, and the giants alone, then you know you're avoiding that splash attack damage and. Like, say, if you had a mind bender, you could just heal that giant after, or if you take out that dragon, you can just let the uh, let the giant relax for a bit and just heal that health, you know, each turn. So sometimes trying to distract those special units can, you know, be in your favor. Yeah, yeah, get them to uh, look the wrong way while you uh, you do what you need to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely good call outs. Well, I mean, it's, it's some good advice for countering. Uh, there's one last thing we've got to touch on with this tribe. It's, well, uh, the reason we use this tribe. And um, I'm going to actually take this opportunity to deviate from our norm on the podcast. And, uh, well, I'll start out with why I might use the tribe, but I'm going to hand it over to each of you so you can tell me why you specifically would use this tribe. Uh, and in my opinion, I think I'd, if I'm going to use Illyrian, it'd be because I want to have strong you know special units but that can still fight a peer adversary in a standard war with its standard tribes you know like a, for the most part the majority of the units are going to fight the same with the add-on of some special units on top and that's um that's pleasant especially if you want to really have a peer conflict um otherwise and i mean i, I obviously sanctuaries are good and i i just like polytor spam if i'm gonna bother using them that's something i'll probably abuse but i mean Oh, Riley, what, why would you use this tribe? Well, in my opinion, Illyrion is just plain fun for me. You know, it's such a big change. You know, it was the first tribe that made such a big change to the gameplay of Polytopia, you know, in terms of, like, just the tribe. And, you know, it's such a switch up going from, like, say, a normal tribe or, like, Polaris and going to Illyrion. You know, it's it's a big switch up. And I like, I do like the Polytors and I like you know, after I take over another tribe, you know, I get a different animal as a polytor. Because uh, that's one thing a lot of people forget is that if you have another tribe in a different terrain that you've taken over, then you can get like a horse polytor or like a, a bug polytor. You know, it, it's just yeah. fun to, it, it's fun to explore with Illyrion and you get to see the ruins. Um, and, you know, I've been playing Illyrion for a long time, since 2017. It's a uh, it's definitely fun, and they they've changed over the years. But I always always go back. You know, it's it, they're just plain fun. It's true. They're a lot of fun. People like dragons. People like unicorns. They're just they're kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, one hundred fire, fire, splash attack, dragon, good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> fire, good. <laughs> well, on the note of fire, good. What about you, Eastbar? Why would you yeah. choose to use this trap? Yeah, so again, I usually play team games. Um, and like I said, a lot of times it's really valuable in team games to be able to see the ruins. That can be a big advantage, just being able to tell your teammates, hey, go that direction. There's a ruin right there. Um, 
and also in in team games like 3v3s again if you have that early polychar advantage with those strong units it can really just um be a big it can be a big strength in in team games the same way definitely understandable and uh, and solid reasoning for it i think that's um something a lot of players will probably continue to um maybe undervalue yeah the, those early ruins being shown to you they uh, they get a lot of value <laughs> well polytopians i think that wraps up our conversation about the illyrian so uh thanks as always for joining us today and thanks for joining us eSpark and riley and um well before we go did you guys have any plugs you want to talk about um well, i don't I've... have any plugs but i know there's stuff going on in your server right riley yeah. Yes, I have brought back UTOP for like the billionth time. It's just, it's, uh, I don't know. I felt like I've been getting back into that online multiplayer and it, I felt like playing um, some games with some old friends in the era 13. So if anybody is interested in, you know, playing Polytopia in a different way, you know, playing more diplomatically and, you know, trading and making alliances and stuff like that, definitely come check it out. You heard it here, folks, and it's um, it's quite a server, and there's a lot of history behind YouTube here. So, uh, I mean, if you yes. want a, a truly cool experience, that's something to check out. And um, on the note of that, here's here's the self plug. Uh, we do have the um, the training program over on the Polytopian Times Discord. It's doing really well, and uh, we're always uh, open for folks looking to um, hop on and find themselves a new mentor. But uh, also throwing out the call here for uh, anyone who wants to um, go and apply to be a mentor themselves. If you think you've got the skills, what it takes to uh, hop on and help train some other people, go pop on and uh, let us know over in the training program. We're uh, definitely looking for folks to join on in. Always use uh, more hands on deck. <laughs> and uh, oh, it's hard to think we are here at, uh, what is this, the 14th of the second run of the tribe episodes now. We've got uh, just the two left now. Yeah, that's quite an accomplishment. So, um, um yeah, it's I mean, good. We should be proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good yeah. job. Yeah, we, we we definitely earned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, thanks as always for tuning in, Polytopians, and uh, until next time, we'll see you. <laughs>